Hello, I'm Mike Baselli, your host for this podcast and the global community that has rallied around it. During this episode, we asked a national leading emergency medicine physician and healthcare innovation thought leader to update our community about the fast moving coronavirus pandemic. Dr. Rich Zane is the chair of emergency medicine and the chief innovation officer at the University of Colorado Health System. Dr. Zane has been widely published in peer review publications and his work has been featured in the Harvard Business Review and Wall Street Journal. Recently, Dr. Zane was named a New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst Thought Leader in Medicine. By partnering with companies from small startups to multinationals and using the power of data science, remote monitoring, and prescriptive intelligence, Dr. Zane is attempting to fundamentally alter and improve the way in which healthcare is delivered. I'm fortunate for Dr. Zane's leadership, perspective, guidance, and determination during these trying times for our nation and beyond. Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us. Dr. Zane, welcome to our podcast being recorded at Halo Creative Labs, located inside of AngelMD's headquarters here at Catalyst, our healthcare innovation campus in downtown Denver, and for taking the time out of your very busy schedule to record this episode for our community. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, Dr. Zane, I'm grateful to have you on our podcast today to discuss the very fast-moving coronavirus story, what our community needs to be considering during these times, as well as discuss how telehealth, the connected patient, and innovation can help fight this pandemic. But before we dive into this very important and timely conversation, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas with our guests and interact with the entire community. And lastly, please take a moment to nominate other Passionate Pioneers for a future episode via our guest nomination form link, as well as subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or click the link at the bottom of the episode notes. All right, Dr. Zane, I'd first like to start out by asking you where we are currently as a nation and what is needed most at this time to battle COVID-19. And for our audience, this is being recorded during the week of March 23rd and wanted to date this given how fast everything is moving. Dr. Zane, I'll open it up broadly and let you take it from there. Well, thanks. Let me uh, start with a really fast, easy answer, and then I'll get broader. Uh, The fast, easy answer to where we are as a nation is we are at the single most important week in the history of American medicine. And I think that this next week or two uh, will define how we've been successful or not, what's to do next uh, or not. I think that everybody has read upside down and backwards in every direction how this started, uh, novel virus. What's really important about the virus being novel is that there is no immunity in the human species. Because there's no immunity in the human species, it is highly contagious, and the rate of being exposed to being infected is very high, meaning if you get exposed, you're likely to be infected. Unlike the flu or a cold where you may have some immunity, uh, the rate of infection is super high. There's also some other interesting things about this virus which make it really difficult. One is that we've noticed that younger people 
uh, who are infected uh, can develop very high viral loads, meaning the amount of virus that they're carrying in their body is high without developing symptoms or developing minor symptoms or developing symptoms late, which means that they are spreading the virus to people uh, without looking or appearing as though they're sick, making them sort of the ultimate vector. Uh, where we are as a globe is that we are in a pandemic with community spread. And what community spread means is that when people become infected, we can no longer trace where or how they got infected. And for most of you who've been reading about the progression of this disease, you notice that at first we were looking at people from Wuhan, China, and then we were looking at people from Wuhan, China, and Singapore. And then we were thinking about Wuhan, China, Singapore, Italy. Uh, now, if you see someone, which we do every single day, every hour of every day, who has COVID-19, uh, it's very unlikely that we can trace that back uh, to where they may or may not have been exposed. So we've gone from an approach of epidemiologic uh, understanding and intervention, meaning look at the person who has COVID-19, test as much as possible, every possible connection, contact area, geography, isolate uh, positive patients, and keep the vi virus from spreading or beyond that. And there's also the pragmatic, pragmatic reality that America does not have sufficient numbers of tests to have done that anyway. So now our response to COVID-19 is mitigation. Mitigation means that uh, we attempt to have people comply with social distancing. We're going to talk about that a little more because that's been very challenging in the United States. Uh, and when a patient develops symptoms, uh, we tell them to shelter in place, essentially quarantine themselves, be alone for 14 days, uh, and don't go outside or meet or see or touch or be near anybody else until you've been symptom-free and fever-free for at least 72 hours in aggregate, about 14 days. Uh, so now the testing is for healthcare workers uh, who've been uh, in contact with a COVID-19 patient and have symptoms so that we can prove that they do or they don't have it. And if they don't have it, they can go back to work. And then for hospitalized patients so that patients uh, can get treatment if they have COVID-19, if there is treatment available, um, or we can treat another disease if it's not COVID-19. So we've really pivoted from one of epidemiologic quantification of disease, which we really couldn't do as a country because we didn't have the tests, to mitigation. And now we're in the process of preparing for surge. And I'm sure that everybody has read <clears throat> about this concept of flattening the curve uh, and social distancing. And that's what we've been doing every minute of every day for the last two weeks. And what are some of those things that you have implemented at UC Health uh, throughout your organization and regionally here to flatten that curve? What are some of those actual tactics? Well, the basic concept of flattening the curve is don't let people touch other people uh, because you never know if they're going to be contagious or have COVID-19. So we instituted broadly uh, virtual health. Probably three years ago, we stood up uh, a virtual health competency that has proven to be downright prophetic, to be honest with you. Uh, we went from having a few dozen uh, virtual urgent care visits a day to well over 200. Uh, we went from having 100 clinics up on virtual health to well over 1,000. Um, and now we have many thousands of virtual health visits per day. And what that has allowed us to do is to deliver care without having to have a patient come into an acute care environment, whether it's an urgent care emergency department or their doctor's office where, one, they could be exposed to COVID or 
they could expose others to COVID. And the reality is that what we've learned is that virtual health is an incredibly powerful tool for all of the reasons that we knew before COVID-19. It's what you want, where you want it, when you want it. Um, we can concentrate a lot of expertise in a small space. So now it's very hard to teach every primary care physician about COVID-19. We are doing that. Um, but imagine now teaching 15 or 20 of my virtual physicians about COVID-19. We can concentrate and spend a lot more time, and they become far more knowledgeable about COVID-19 than your average primary care doctor because your average primary care doctor has to do 95 other things in addition to answer questions about COVID-19. And can you also describe to the layperson listening in on the podcast here, Dr. Zane, what's the difference between real-time telehealth communication and asynchronous type of uh, communication? So we do both, synchronous and asynchronous. Real-time is push a button and you're either speaking to a doctor on a screen or you're speaking to a doctor just like you and I are speaking through a telephone. Uh, asynchronous is I email, text, or somehow chat with you, uh, and then you respond or I respond at my convenience, and then we have an asynchronous conversation, much like you do with your kids or your friends via email or text message. And is that being implemented for COVID-19, the asynchronous type of environment? Uh, absolutely. Everything is being implemented for COVID-19. And luckily, um, I'm not going to say luckily, but I'm going to say that prophetically, um, we had stood up this competency and were incredibly ready to do this. And in regards to the federal and policy level, a lot has uh, developed over the past kind of two or three weeks from CMS, HHS, and the federal government. Can you explain what has happened there to help further enable uh, providers and organizations like yourself and UC Health? Yeah, just to give it high-level context. Uh, the way that the American healthcare system is set up is very specifically uh, based on states and in-person contact. And when virtual health um, began to emerge, it was difficult uh, for those constraints to identify and understand what new technology can do. And that's common across all different industries, not just healthcare. So things like uh, I would not be able to take care of you virtually if you were in Ohio because I'm in Colorado, even though the human anatomy is the same, the diseases are the same, and the, the requirements to be licensed and credentialed are the same. I'm simply not licensed in Ohio. So the federal government has loosened those rules, and now we're allowed to deliver virtual care across straight state lines. Um, what they've also done is allowed for billing for Medicare, for virtual care. Uh, it used to be that the only uh, Medicare patients who could get virtual care would be those that were in very specific designated rural areas. And now Medicare has opened it up uh, for all Medicare beneficiaries to receive virtual care. So from a payer and a regulatory perspective, uh, in the last three weeks, virtual care really has been the savior of this COVID-19 epidemic. And it's also been very deregulated in a good way. Thanks for that, Dr. Zane. And also, if we're thinking about telehealth here, another big piece of the pandemic, as you already mentioned, is social distancing and isolation. Well, that is obviously going to create some mental and behavioral uh, health issues amongst our community members as well. Can you discuss what uh, telehealth is doing for, for our mental health uh, practitioners and providers as well? Yeah, so think about virtual health or telehealth or whatever you want to call it. I really, um, I really lament the fact that it's called telehealth and virtual health, because what it really is, is technology-enabled care. It is actual care. 
and the way that it's being delivered happens to be on a platform uh, where you can also FaceTime your grandmother or text your son or daughter or friend. But this is actual care uh, on a platform that makes it convenient uh, and also can be a force multiplier and can concentrate resources in one area and diffuse it out to the population. So from a behavioral health perspective, if you think about behavioral health, there are many different layers of behavioral health from what type of person um, or device will deliver that therapy or analysis, and then what is the intervention, whether it's therapy or medication. Virtual health is highly amenable to that, and luckily we had stood up that platform for virtual behavioral health well before COVID-19, and that too has, has turned out to be incredibly helpful and prophetic, not just from our patient's perspective, but also how we can help our providers who are under probably the most stressful conditions that they have ever been under in their careers. I, I can only imagine. And, you know, one thing that I'm receiving a lot of feedback and, and questions on through, uh, through our community is, does my payer even uh, offer these benefits? I know you're, you uh, reside on the, on the provider side, but you do work in, in hand in glove with some of our payers. What's the environment there? What should our community members know about kind of the, the payment structure, the reimbursement structure, and do they have these benefits? And where do they, where do they even start? They start with their payer. Uh, go online, look at their payer, and see what they do or don't cover. Um, many payers, in fact, there isn't a single payer that I know of that does not cover virtual uh, visits and virtual care for a lot of reasons. One, it works, but two, it's also cheaper than traditional bricks and mortar care. Uh, many payers have their own uh, virtual care uh, resources. So whether you have Anthem or whether you have um, United or Kaiser, uh, you will either have an answer to your question of whether virtual care is covered or a link to virtual care that they may provide. And in regards to people thinking that they're experiencing symptoms of COVID-19, as an emergency uh, room physician, uh, what would you recommend? Should I start with virtual care? Should I go to the physical brick and mortar? If I'm a patient, what is your best recommendation for me at this very time? So let's just talk about what the symptoms are and then what the rec recommendations are. So COVID-19 is a coronavirus, which we've talked about. Uh, it's named COVID-19 because it's discovered in 2019. That's why the 19. And then COVID is an acronym for the different parts of the virus. It's a SARS-type virus. You've heard about SARS before. But coronaviruses exist in the atmosphere, exist in the human population. And there are many, many coronaviruses, in fact, most common colds are caused by the coronavirus or another similar virus. So the first thing is, if the symptoms you're having now would not have led you to seek any type of care before you'd ever heard of coronavirus, you don't need to seek care. Because the treatment for symptoms of coronavirus, which could be fever, cough, shortness of breath, muscle aches, many different things that are consistent with um, cold and flu, uh, have no specific treatment other than drinking fluids and taking medicines to reduce your fever. So the first thing to do is if this would not have caused you to seek medical care before you'd heard of COVID-19, you don't need to seek medical care. Um, if you have questions or concerns, the best thing to do is to either call your primary care physician or have a virtual visit so that you can avoid having to go to the hospital, go to the doctor, um, have an in-person evaluation for something that 
the overwhelming vast majority of questions can be answered virtually or even just by synchronous or asynchronous communication. And let's talk about keeping the patient at home uh, still here, Dr. Zane. You and UC Health are on the front lines leading innovative technologies, processes, and ideas around the term, the connected patient. Uh, Can you share with our community what you and UC Health are doing in regards to remote monitoring and the connected patient, and especially how that also applies to COVID-19? Yeah, it's very applicable incredibly germane, um, and I guess tragically timely is the best way that I would describe it. Uh, We stood up our virtual health capabilities for a lot of purposes in addition to being able to deliver traditional care virtually, Uh, but one of our large initiatives is essentially the blurring of outpatient, inpatient, and home care, allowing us to do at home what otherwise would have had to be be done in a hospital or some type of acute care environment. So we partnered with a company called BioIntelliSense. Uh, it's a company that produces remote patient monitoring technology. Uh, so something like a sticker that goes on your chest and can monitor you, in addition to a way to ingest the data that comes off of that sticker in real time into our virtual health center, combined with predictive and prescriptive analytics, so that we can look and identify when you may be at risk or when you as a patient may be deteriorating. So with one sticker, we can monitor your temperature, very important in COVID-19, your respiratory rate, very important in COVID-19, heart rate, very important in COVID-19, an accelerometer, so how much you move, how much you walk, whether you're a fall risk, uh, but also we can hear sounds of respiratory distress that may say that may sound a little bit creepy. It's not a microphone. We're not listening to what you say. Uh, we're not listening to what you order uh, on Amazon. Um, what we're listening to are coughing sounds and respiratory distress sounds. So imagine if you were a patient who were ill and perhaps you had comorbidities that uh, make you in the category of someone who's at risk for getting Uh, significantly ill from COVID, uh, we can leave you at home, we can monitor you remotely, and by monitoring you remotely, we can tell when you may be deteriorating physiologically before you're even symptomatic. We can tell if your temperature is going up, if your respiratory rate is going up, if the sounds of your breathing are consistent with something that we should be worried about. And then we can contact you and either intervene by calling in a prescription, doing certain medications, doing a virtual visit, um, or get you to the hospital, and you will have gone to the hospital before you got even sicker. So the whole point is that we can deliver care at home, but we can also reduce how long people need to stay in the hospital, and we can avoid emergency department and urgent care visits, as well as hospital admission. Thank you for that, Dr. Zane. And let's stay on innovation and uh, technology and disruption. Uh, You are one of the leading chief innovation officers uh, in the industry and across the nation. What I'm receiving as well is how can our startup and innovation community uh, be of uh, best use and support to physicians like yourself and organizations like UC Health? What should the innovation and the startup community be thinking about right now? Well, what's great about innovators is that they're by nature Part of their genetic code is that they think differently, uh, they have a cadence to decision-making, and they can pivot. So think about what's challenging our country. Um, what's challenging our country is a pandemic, and what's challenging our country is a supply-demand mismatch. That's essentially what a disaster is. A disaster is a healthcare supply and demand mismatch. And where can you fit differently? So here's where you can fit differently. Um, 
think about where predictive and prescriptive analytics come in. So can we develop an algorithm um, or a bot, for lack of a better term, that can do that first 85% of what a virtual visit does for COVID-19? And you'll see Google is trying to do that. Uh, symptom checker or some type of constellation of big data that can guess the probability of you becoming acutely ill. Uh, those types of interventions are going to have profound impact. Think about what your company does and how it could help me, right? How pragmatically it could help me. I just described you what my challenge is. Uh, right now, we are doubling the number of patients who are becoming symptomatically uh, infected with COVID-19 because we're not testing. I don't actually know how many are in the state of Colorado, but what I do know is that every single day for the last week, and I haven't checked today, but I assume it's even more, more patients with those symptoms are coming to the emergency department. So from an innovator's perspective, how can you help me with that problem? How can you be pragmatic, ethnographic at the point of care and say, Zane runs a bunch of emergency departments. He has this number of ventilators. He has this number of negative isolation rooms. He can only see this number of patients, and three X patients are going to come. Do you have a solution for that? Is there something you can help me with that? Um, I want to listen. Can you help me keep sicker patients at home or keep well patients who, who may come to the hospital uh, from coming to the hospital? You can help me do that. Remote patient monitoring and extending virtual care is what everybody's talking about. Can you help me with that? If you can, I want to talk to you. That's how I think innovators should be thinking. What do they know? What are they developing? How can they pragmatically apply it to what we are facing now and help? This is not the time to start an ethereal conversation about what's going to happen in the next three years. This is a time to prove that you can pivot, that what you can do changes care, um, and that you can actually execute. Now, I know there are some resources online, Dr. Zane, and I know you have an innovation center out there at UC Health. Are there any URLs, websites, social media handles, or otherwise that you'd like to share with our community where they can get a hold of you or your team? Uh, get a hold of me on Twitter at, at Richard Zane or on LinkedIn um, or uh, our UC Health Care Innovation Center uh website is the easiest way. Uh, we have a process by which we screen ideas, screen applications, um, and that's where you have the highest chance of getting a very fast response. Excellent. Thank you for that, Dr. Zane. We will also include all those links in our episode notes uh, for everybody to click through and get a hold of uh, those resources uh, that Dr. Zane just outlined. Uh, I do now just want to kind of open it up to you, Dr. Zane. I have a profound respect and admiration for your work and leadership uh, in our industry. Are there any other topics that you'd like to share and implore our nation and our, and our followers and our listeners on this podcast before we wrap it up? Yes. So if I could ask, Coloradans or anybody in this country to do one thing, um, it's to take social distancing seriously. Uh, there is no way to describe from a mathematical perspective what the difference between social distancing working and social distancing not working is. It's the difference between people living and dying. It's the difference between me having five patients who need a ventilator and only having one ventilator versus one patient and one ventilator. So what we are prepared to do and preparing to do are making decisions about which patients get ICU beds and which patients don't, which patients get ventilators and which patients don't, which patients are too sick and their chance of survival is really low, so we can't try because we don't have the resources. 
we're making decisions about do we have enough personal protective equipment for doctors and nurses to take care of you? Because I will never ask a doctor or nurse to take care of you if they don't feel protected. The only way that you can make it so that you will get care or your family member will get care or your aunt or your uncle or your mother or your father is by social distancing. What I saw in Wash Park on Saturday when I drove by was exactly the opposite. If we continue with what I saw in Wash Park last week, which is a beautiful park in the middle of Denver with wonderful families and friends within two feet of each other, climbing all over each other, sliming all over monkey bars, the end is near. And we're at an inflection point, and this is an inflection point which you will remember for the rest of your life. Well, Dr. Zane, uh, it couldn't have been said any better. And I appreciate all of your service to our community, to our nation, and to the healthcare workers on the front lines. Keep up the fight. We're here for you. Keep us updated. And if we need to get other messages out, please let us know. But for now, get back to taking care of our community. And thank you for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.